Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our frequent podcast, Wear Many Hats. Um, I'm your host, Mark Robinson, and I'm the Commercial Director for Hockey Cleaning and Sports Services. On the show today, um, we've got a very interesting show. Um, it's going to be focused purely on recruitment within the facilities management sphere. Um, and I'm really pleased to welcome Chris Sycamore, Associate Director of Cobalt Recruitment, who is going to run through um, some questions with us today. So, Chris, hello. Perfect. Thanks very much for having me. Good to be here. How are you doing? You well? I'm very well indeed. Can't complain. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So, should we get straight into um, some of the questions Absolutely. and then, and then go from on. there? Let's do it. Okay. So, like, firstly, the most important one, Chris, you know, t- tell us a little bit about your career journey. Um, within facilities management with that obvious recruitment angle. No, no, of course. So obviously from listening to the show, I think a lot of people with facilities management have had the classic phrase, they fell into it. Um, And I'm not going to lie and say it's been my life's ambition to be an FM recruiter. It's exactly that I fell into it. I actually finished university and did a little bit of time living abroad. Um, I lived in Beijing teaching English. Oh, nice. And then I got back to the UK and realised I hadn't thought in the slightest about a job. Um, (laughs) And the only things I knew I wanted to do was I wanted to have a job that revolved around people. I didn't Mm. want to be completely stuck at a desk. I didn't want to be just typing away at a computer. Right. And one of my friends at the time said, look, you've got the gift of the gab. You should probably try recruitment. Yeah. So came for the interview with Cobalt and obviously passed, went on to what we call our graduate scheme, academy scheme, where it was aimed at people with no real experience of recruitment, but giving them an overview of that. And for those who don't know Cobalt, Cobalt is like a real estate specialist. We cover every aspect of property. So it wasn't like we were just an FM recruiter. So we actually did a rotation around a few different teams because me coming basically fresh out of university, um, no real life experience other than teaching English in China, which wasn't right. very good for, for recruitment. Um, you get to see what every different aspect of property was like, and it's yep. very different. Um, so I tried a few different teams, and facilities management was was the main one I think I really connected with. Um, right. It was the one where I probably had the most success in that limited two-week trial period if we did of every team. Yep. But also it was the one I enjoyed the most. And I think it was down to the fact that a lot of FMs are very down-to-earth. Yep. I don't find people are too snooty in FM. People are very keen for a chat. Because I would agree. Most people in FM, whilst there are good degrees in it, obviously Sheffield Hallam that do, do a great FM degree, most people have worked their way into it from the ground up, yep. which gives them an element of humbleness, which is both a good thing can be a bad thing in terms of recruitment, but we can we can come on to that. Yeah. But I just found out I really got on with talking to people like that, and it was something that I just I did fall into. But yeah. because of the sorts of people I was speaking with on a day to day, it was the one that made the most sense to me. And uh, nine years approaching a decade later, it, here I am. Right. Okay. And you you still got a full head of um, brown hair. I see. No grey. A few grey started to come in a little bit. As yeah. I've got the wrong side of thirty, but no, it's uh, yeah. Thankfully, not too Sorry. many. If your wife's anything like mine, she'll get you just for <laughs> men before you know it. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. So, um, I mean, we've kind of touched on how you, how you fell into it, but you know, what, what inspired you to to continue with that 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 facilities management focus in your recruitment career? Was it anything specific, or I think. <laughs> I don't want to be too grandiose about it, but I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for a narrative. Yeah, like, I like the idea of there being some sort of story, some sort of vision behind something. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not like on a one-man mission to save facilities management or anything like that at all. But what I liked was the idea that when I was speaking to people about how they found the industry, a lot of people felt like it had previously been something that was a little bit undervalued. Yeah. Um, 
I think some people have said about perhaps being the butt of certain jokes within the wider property industry. Mm. But it felt like it was at a time when it was becoming more and more important. Um, I came into facilities management recruitment in late 2014, which is around about the time, maybe just after the Stoddart report was was being re- being issued, and that was all kind of covering how you know property isn't just a place people go and good work happens within it. But if you manage these spaces well enough, it's a driver of that productivity. It's yep. a driver of that engagement. And so you need to manage the space properly to create places that people want to go to, they want to live in, they want to work in. And to do that, you need to invest in FM. So mm. people were starting to awaken to the value of it to me. Um, but at a time when realistically the industry hadn't been trained as much in the skill sets that were needed for this new approach to property. Yeah. And... I'm not the person actually doing this role. Like the facilities managers are the ones actually doing it. They're the ones that deserve all the plaudits from it. But being a part of that kind of wave and connecting those new school FMs with the demand for them, with the clients that need that skill set and recognized it, that's a really rewarding thing for me. And I think being able to see the profile of FM grow year on year has been what's kept me in it as opposed to wanting to try my hands at a different aspect of property or a different sector altogether. Yeah. I, I mean, I, my own observation is that that, that kind of um, workspace environment was kind of driven by the tech giants, the likes of Facebook and Google and things like that. Would you agree? Or do, Because it's kind of, it seems to have spread to a wider a wider place now. I think look, I've, I'm coming up on a decade in it, mm. so I don't want to say I completely know why there's moves and shakers in it, but definitely they've been ahead of it for a long while. Um, mm. We used to do a few roles on the King's Cross estate where, where Google yep. were based. Yep. and seeing their offices at the time it was like a mini home like you yeah had the gym you had the kitchens it was it was like a complete kind of lifestyle almost yes and i don't know if they drove it or not but definitely even from the very early stages i'd go to an office like theirs and yeah. you'd notice straight away in a way that you didn't with the more conventional property um yeah. you've obviously seen like serviced offices as well be a big part of that which now everyone is trying to copy or, or imitate yeah. so potentially they've had a big role in it too but if they didn't drive it those tech companies have certainly been doing it for a lot longer than most other companies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Okay, that's really interesting. So, I mean, what what advice would you give somebody that wanted to start a career within recruitment, within the facilities management sector? Is there any any anything that you think would stand out that would assist people from moving into that space? Um, there's not, I mean, the good thing about it is there's not one background into it. Like, mm. there's not one driven path. And I've seen people get into it from a range of backgrounds, whether it's hospitality, whether it's security, whether it's engineering, or a whole host of other areas you can get yeah. into with it. What I would say is a role where there is an element of customer service into it is more and more desirable now. And if people have come from a hospitality background, that is not the thing that gets them over the line in terms of an interview, but it's definitely one of the things that comes across as a big green tick from a lot of my clients. Yep. The advice I give to anyone who's serious about it as well, though, is also to look at, if you can afford it, getting your IOSH qualification or getting an affiliate membership of the IWFM, just to give you an understanding of it and give you a a well-rounded understanding of what it actually involves on a day-to-day basis. Beyond that, if that gives you the exposure and you, you decide you do want to build a career in FM, once you've got that, it's a good symbol of intent. And realistically, when hiring managers are getting dozens, if not hundreds of applications from people with to to be kind, a relevant experience, showing that desire and that substance and the fact you've actually gone out and and done something about it, that helps make you stand out from the crowd. So I think if you're building a career in FM, having some sort of basis in customer service and being able to communicate with a range of stakeholders, whether it's your contractors, your clients, or your, your occupiers, that's useful. But also 
if you can look into actually getting some qualifications or affiliations with registered industry bodies, that's a really good signal of intent that will help you build your knowledge, but also show hiring managers that you're serious about building this career. Okay, that's really interesting. So just staying with that standing out element, um, for our listeners out there that are potentially looking to move careers, looking at other options and things like that. Give me a call. Yeah, yeah, give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll share his number at the end of the podcast. Um, how, how would you say, um, what type of CVs are hiring managers looking for or looking to see when they're they're recruiting people for roles in facilities management? Okay, um, I'll start with the more general advice that you know I'd say actually for any industry, and that's the first one is that there's a clear kind of storyline to the CV. Um, you can see some clear progression. If there's a CV where they've jumped around different levels of seniority, jumped across multiple different sectors, then sometimes that can put them a bit to the bottom of the pile. Mm. Longevity is still very much on the plus side. And people understand that people don't stay in jobs for 20 years anymore. But Mm. at the same time, if there's been a move every six months, every 12 months, then unless there's a compelling reason for it, like a tupi, like the end of a contract, that can set you back. Um, What I would say for facilities managers is, there's an awful lot of people that don't recognize that the CV is about selling your own personal achievements. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people, particularly in FM, where they speak in a real general sense, or worse still, they just copy and paste their job description. Yeah. And the problem is, is like, if you're working for a big company, that could be describing anyone in your business, whereas the hiring manager wants to know what you've done. Yeah. So if I look at CVs, I mean, first of all, bullet point rather than continuous prose, so the information stands out, but actually having the detail and the key facts. So... If you're a building manager, put the size of your building on there. And if you don't know the size of it, then figure it out and put it on there because, you know, you can have the job title building manager and be managing something that's an absolutely tiny building and then you can have a trophy asset. And if you've got a trophy asset experience, that's going to make you more employable. Yeah. Um, But also, and it's a little bit harder to quantify, but a lot of FMs don't really know the value of the work they do or they're not comfortable selling the value of the work they do. So they'll talk about what they do on a day-to-day basis but they won't talk about what that's led to for their occupiers or for their clients. So and you, think, you mean the outcome? The exactly outcome, like that. Yeah. So, you know, people will say, I've overseen a CapEx project to upgrade certain plant equipment mm. and that will make the building more sustainable. Yeah. Do they know how much that saved their client on utility bills over the next two years? Yeah. If people are talking about, you know, they've overseen certain fit-out projects, have they talked about what that usage of the space meant for their occupiers and what that did to the engagement levels of tenants within the buildings? Right. There's not always a clear A plus B equals C answer for what you do in a day-to-day as an FM. Mm. But I think if people can connect that, then it will really help them stand out because a lot of people, like I said, when they're applying, it is just here's some general information about what I do. It could be said for any FM, any building manager, any estate manager. Yep. And it's hard then for you to stand out on your CV alone. Obviously, mm. When you're going through a recruiter, it can be a little bit different because you've got someone in your corner who's championing you, championing you, tripping over my words here, um, but also highlighting it to the hiring manager. But realistically, you need to make it obvious from the CV. Your CV needs to be hitting the hiring manager over the head so they almost yeah. can't miss out how good you are. Yeah, because am I right? I'm sure I read somewhere, Chris, that um, your average CV, your hiring manager, will spend about 10 or 12 seconds reading Absolutely. and then move on to the next one. Absolutely. So, so I, I'm, I guess the start of that CV, the, 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 the first paragraph is crucial to, would you say? Or? I, I, honestly, it's, it's that much. And I yeah. think, you know what, like, if you work, if you're applying for a role and you work for one of that company's competitors already, you probably will get a little bit of extra time to review it because the company name you work for alone will carry you. But particularly if you're transitioning from a different sector, 
you really need to have that detail there straight away because honestly, FMs, they're not a lazy bunch. It's a busy role. Yes. A lot of days will be pillar to post. And if the hiring manager then has to review CVs, if they've got dozens and dozens of applications, they're going to want to see it quickly. So you've really got to make yourself stand out as quickly as possible, which is yeah. why having that detail, having that specific information is so important, at least in my view. Yeah, so would you like bullet point core skills at the beginning, or for Always. example? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd put bullet points off right the CV, like your job title, your company you work for, bullet point your experience there. Yeah. What are your key skills or your key deliverables? bullet point there it's yeah. all about clarity and conciseness in selling yeah. yourself on the cv make it easy to read easy to understand make the hiring manager's job easier yeah they should read every cv and we should be diligent but we're human we've obviously got day jobs to be getting on with stuff gets missed out and you want to really maximize your chances of not falling through the cracks when that happens yeah and let's not forget that the hiring manager also works in facilities and he's probably just as busy as the facilities exactly manager exactly that Okay, that's really, really interesting. So, obviously, um, one of the things that we discussed prior to the show was, you know, kind of the state of recruitment, the state of FM at the minute, um, whether there's been any kind of slowdown in job creation and things along those lines. Um, what are you seeing at the minute across the industry in terms of job availability, roles that are being filled, roles that are being advertised, and so on and so forth? Of course. So, again, I don't want to speak for the entire industry. I can only go for my own personal experiences, but what I've seen and what I've heard from candidates who have been reaching out to other recruiters from competitors of mine that I do speak with. It's been a good couple of years. It's been a lot of demand for facilities managers, particularly those that understand the value of what they do and understand, you know, that sort of core customer service skill as well as the core FM skills. Yeah. What I'm seeing at the moment this year is it, there's still that demand, but clients are perhaps a little bit more reluctant to pull the trigger in terms of hiring and if unless someone external is blowing someone internal out of the water, there is that tendency to push towards the internal options, um, yeah. which isn't a bad thing. Um, you know, obviously, you want to be work for a business that gives you a crack of the whip in terms of the potential platform to progress. But it does mean, again, that FMs really have to focus on selling themselves as effectively as possible in the interview, because if you are up against an internal option or even a referral by someone internal, where there's perhaps more of a vouching for someone, you've got to be so much better than them to get the job at this moment. And what we have seen is a tendency for, again, if you're looking for a role at a certain level of seniority, can we promote from within and push this role to the lowest level of seniority? Yeah. So, for example, salaries have gone up in the FM world. And yeah. it, generally a lot of conversation I have with clients now is about salaries going up. It feels like it's a really competitive market. They see a CV, expect a certain salary expectation, mm. and then it turns out the person's looking for substantially higher. Mm. So I think what people are trying to do to counteract that is look at more junior facilities managers, for want of a better word, where it's people where the salary level is probably what it was 18 months, two years ago, but they're looking at people who are far less experienced and looking at where we can train them. Yeah. Which again, if if you can do that, that's brilliant because one of the big problems in FM is there's not enough young people getting into it. Like no one goes to school and dreams of being a facilities manager. One of the main reasons this podcast was started, Chris. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. So if you can do that and do it right, that's perfect. The problem we've got though is a lot of people say that's what they're doing it for, but in fact it is just a cost-saving exercise. And if you're taking people without the experience and just throwing them into the mixer without that support network around them, then it all falls flat very quickly. Yeah. Uh, the candidates move on. Um they're obviously not receiving the your occupiers and customers aren't receiving the same level of service you need because frankly the people delivering that service haven't been trained well so it's both a good thing that this recruitment is pushing to the most junior level possible because it gives people at the start of their career more opportunities but 
hiring managers and organizations have to be very careful with it because if it is just a cost saving exercise and a way of counteracting salaries growing mm. and you're not really investing in them still, then I think you'll get found out very quickly. So with every crisis is a good opportunity. And I, yeah. I don't think it is a crisis at this stage, but it's just something the industry I think needs to be mindful of definitely going forward. Right. That's really interesting. So, so do you have a view um, with regards to why salaries have been increasing quite the way they have over a period of time or do you know what's driving it? Do you have any, any insights with I'd, regards to that? I'd say so. Um, I mean, look, first of all, there's a cost of living crisis. Yep. And I think people obviously are more conscious of that. So people are probably pushing harder for salary raises than they, they would have in previous years. Yep. But I think the real factor of it is, is that FM wasn't invested in. Yeah. Um, and again, I've been, I'm approaching 10 years in this now. So, but it seems to me 15, 20 years ago and longer, it wasn't something businesses put money into because mm. it was seen as a pure cost. Maintenance was a pure cost. Health and safety compliance was something that you kind of did because you had to, not because you wanted to. Whereas now what we're seeing is if you invest in these built to rent developments, if you invest in these grade A office buildings, if you invest in these shopping centers and convert them into more leisure facilities, if you manage them properly, you will make more money from it. But that means you need to invest in your people. Yeah. The problem is, therefore, though, the industry wasn't trained for this 15, 20 years ago. It's all the established people. There's a lot of talent out there, but there's not a lot of talent out there that really understands that core aspect of what they do, that core customer service, that bit that drives everyone together. Yeah. And where you've got a low supply and a high demand, what happens to price? It goes up. Yeah. And what we're seeing now is... Now, FMs are normally really down to earth. There's not many people that really play the game or have too much of an ego at this stage, although there's definitely one or two that I've, uh, I've come across over <laughs> my time. But yeah. by the very virtue of the fact that because everyone wants these at this stage, if you're an FM and you've got free offers on the table, the easiest way to decide what's the best one between them is the money on the table. And equally, with a cost of living crisis, people will choose that money as a driving factor. So, yeah. you know, it is creating a situation where there's bidding wars for the best talent and there's just a scarcity of those people that really are that top tier, that A grade. Yeah. So what do you think has driven the um, the lack of skills within the industry, I suppose, skilled individuals, which has then created that, you know, lack of individuals and driven up? Is, is there a reason driving that? It's a difficult question, I know. So if you can't answer it, don't worry about it. But what's your view? What, so what's the reason for the lack of skills in the industry at the moment? Again, I, I don't think people have trained it enough. Like there's not right. been enough. People haven't been encouraging people to get, into facilities yep. so you don't really have like this constant stream of people pushing their way through the ranks right so what i'd say is again it's because of that lack of investment in it there's not been enough encouraging fms again as a rule of thumb they've normally worked their way up from the ground up from a variety of sectors a variety of of backgrounds there's an I think can inherit humbleness for a lot of FMs. So they don't shout about what they do. Yeah. Like I think there's probably a lot of imposter syndrome in FM. You know, yeah. people don't see what they're doing as something particularly special because they're doing what needs to be done. Yeah. But the problem is when you don't shout about it and when the people hiring for you or creating the demand for it haven't been recognizing FM, it means that it's not something that people know much about, which I think means you don't get as many younger people coming into the industry as, as they should do. And literally, when you haven't got people coming in at that junior level, mm. it does create a bottleneck eventually. It's definitely not the entire answer, but I think that's definitely a part of it. It's really interesting. I think I think that's a really difficult one to answer because there could be any number of, you know, COVID would, would, was probably quite a significant um piece to it because of the great resignation you know a lot of people left the industry we definitely saw a lot of people at the at the top end of the market do that and a lot of people mm. taking early retirement or yeah. equally people deciding to start working more and more part-time so yeah. that kind of added into it and i think it's created this perfect storm in terms of this recruitment need especially for fm where i mean even 
nine years ago when I first started, people were still saying there's a lack of talent in the market. So yeah. it's just kind of combined at that right time to, or that wrong time, I should say, to exacerbate the problem. Yeah, really interesting. So do you think, um, you know, so, sort of going back to how people enter the, the industry, do you think over the coming years we may see an increase in graduate schemes and apprenticeships? I, I hope so. I hope so. But again, it's that, that question of does like a technical qualification or does like an academic background trump that experience? Are you better off getting a degree from a university in facilities management or are you best working your way up, working under a good manager who gives you that hands-on exposure? Yep. Um, I don't really see anyone hiring who says it's essential someone has a degree in FM unless it's a company that's never hired for an FM before and they think they need to put that on a job description. So I'm actually quite ignorant as to what the FM degree courses actually evolve on the day-to-day, but they don't actually seem to be even aimed at people with no experience in teaching them what fm is so yeah. I'm, I'm not too sure at this stage yeah yeah it's, it's, it's a challenge isn't it it's a real challenge okay fantastic so you know how do you uh, you know within recruitment um, because i know obviously operating in this space you need to understand it yep so how do you stay informed about new developments and trends within the industry um to make sure that you're knowledgeable no no of course so i mean first things first um when I'm assuming every FM recruiter will do this, but you know, when we're training new recruitment staff, mm-hmm. it's also about taking the time for established consultants in the team and in the business to teach them not just about here's how recruitment works, but here's how the industry works. Here are some of the trends for it. So when we bring people in, there's definitely not a throwing them in at the deep end. There's that internal training from people at Cobalt. Um, but also it's a mixture of – it's a real mixture. There will be events like the facility show, which mm. obviously you've got people exhibiting for the vendors, but you also get a lot of talks from the IWFM. Yeah. It's going on Eventbrite and seeing what events are happening. It's attending networking events. It's also looking at publications like FM Journal or Facilitate Magazine, seeing what the trends are and the opinion pieces are. But the good thing about me as a recruiter is I, at the end of the day, I get paid to talk to people. Yeah. Like I'm speaking to hundreds of people every week. And yeah. with that, you're getting different perspectives. And yeah. You know, when I first started this, I think one of the big fears I had was I'm going to be speaking to someone who's got 20, 30 years experience in this field. I've got two or three weeks. I'm 22 years old. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. But you don't need to be an expert. A lot of the time it is just asking people questions and having that curiosity about how it works. Fake it till you make it. It's not so much the faking it till you make it. It's just admitting, look, this is where you know better than me. I'm not doing this job. Can you tell me more about this? And you'll get people's perspectives. And Obviously, certain people will embellish it, or sometimes people will say things that turns out not to be quite accurate. But by asking that question of enough people, you generally get a, an idea of what's what. Um, so it's a mixture of, you know, the trade magazines. It's a mixture of the events that go on, but it's also just speaking to people and having that curious, open mind about how the FM world works. Yeah. Okay. So, sort of moving back to something that you said earlier about networking. Okay. Um, do you think networking for professionals within the facilities management arena is useful and helpful to their careers? I think so, definitely, because like you said, there's not, particularly if you work for a non-property company, you've probably not got a huge team around you. So, you know, you might have one facilities manager in your company who's more senior than you. So their pathway to get into where they are might not be what everyone else would do. And if you're working for a company where they haven't got a particularly big or established FM team, it's definitely going to be useful because it'll give you more exposure to different avenues of ways of of progressing. And like I said, there's not a one-size-fits-all to that progressing. Um, But also, it's constantly evolving. Like ESG, for example, I never put those initials together more than two, three years ago. Now it's coming up with every bit of recruitment we're doing. What's been their involvement for ESG? So equally, that's something that FM's, 
10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, wouldn't have considered as much. Whereas now, because it's a newer thing, it will be going to those networking events, what's been your approach to this? Or, you know, when it came to like COVID, all of a sudden people had to work out how to make a building safe while learning how to socially distance. Yeah. Everyone was winging it. There was no manual on how to do that. Yeah. So going to those networking events, virtually at the time, of course, it'll expose you to more best practice. Um, And equally, at the end of the day, it's good to build those social connections too. Um, And it's a stressful job at times. So, you know, of course, letting off the steam never hurts either. Yeah, of course. I mean, I I know a lot of people that operate in that space and, you know, they work far harder than I do. It's probably the best way to explain it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, so, um, I mean, in terms of sort of challenges, so within your space, what would you say the biggest challenge is for you on a daily basis? The biggest challenge for me at the moment? That's a good question. Um... I would say the biggest problem I face on a daily basis is still the process management where we'll have a lot of situations where a hiring manager is desperately in need for someone, be it a replacement hire or even a new hire they know they need. And then it's convincing their hires up or the people that don't work in an FM background that are green lighting these roles to move quickly enough on them because sometimes the higher-ups in, in an organization don't realize the value of, of, of what needs to be done. And then when you've got that person that you know is a great fit for it, but like I said, it's a competitive market, that hiring manager misses out because they couldn't move the process quickly along enough. Yeah. Or the other aspect is, is people, I would say, if you speak to a lot of hiring managers, they will say there's a lack of talent. We're really struggling with recruitment right now. But because they need someone so urgently where they've not invested or, or started this recruitment process much sooner in the past – they have to look at that person that can hit the ground running. So I do think people say there's not much talent out there. There's there's an awful lot of talent out there. There's an awful lot of people with the right attitude. But it's that they come from a slightly different sector. And if they need to transition across, it might take them a slight bit longer to get up and running. Mm. So people don't want to look at them. So you've kind of got this situation where people are crying out to move into facilities management or a different sector of FM. Yeah, Hiring managers who are crying out for more talent and claiming, that, claiming there's a limited talent pool. But because of the time pressures it's hard to connect the two of them together because they don't want to spend the extra time getting them up and running. Yeah. Um, another, I wouldn't say a problem for me on a day-to-day basis, but one thing with the industry is it's getting better, but it is still typically seen as a man's world. Um, yeah, agreed. And I've had a lot of people, I mean, we, we at Cobalt do a lot of events uh, revolving around diversity and inclusion in property. Um, mm. And at the last one we had, it was about recruitment in diversity and inclusion. And, um, we had people from the FM and the estates management background on there. And again, it was still very much saying that whilst there is progress and you are seeing a lot more women at every rank of it, and there's you know some amazing heads of facilities management who, who mm. are women, it still very much is geared towards men yep. because that's how the industry was years ago. And I think people still have that conception that it is about the hard skills, the engineering skills, which are incredibly important, but people aren't realizing that FM is more than that. And equally, I think there's still a lot of people who seem to just have that kind of inner bias towards a man for those type of roles. Yeah, It's definitely getting better and there's definitely work being done there, but it's something that I think we've got to be mindful of and being as inclusive as possible because if there is a talent shortage in FM, if you're turning a blind eye to people from certain backgrounds, not deliberately, but even just instinctively or without realizing you're doing it, yeah. you're missing out on some great talent that could be the future of your business going forward. Yeah, agreed. Completely agree. Um, okay, that's really interesting. So do you have any regrets with regards to your career so far? Is there anything that, <clears throat> I guess, you know, your career took a certain pathway? Would you have made any changes for it to be slightly different? Or are you completely comfortable where you're at? I'm very comfortable where I'm at. I wouldn't say you've got no regrets because it's not a regret because you make mistakes and you learn from them. Um, I think 
the one thing with myself at the moment is I'm acutely aware that there is a vested interest from from me here. And so mm. when you're giving advice or consultation to people, um, they obviously take up a pinch of salt because nine times out of ten, if I if I don't place that individual, there's no recruitment fee for me and I don't yep. get paid. Yeah, and I think sometimes people think that, you know, you're saying or giving certain advice just to say anything and get someone over the line for a fee. I'd personally actually rather miss out on a fee and give someone the right long-term advice. Like I've been doing this for long enough now. There's people that I didn't place when I was starting out that are now coming back to me as clients because of the advice I gave them. And I think yeah. one of the one of the mistakes I probably made at the the start of my career was maybe being a little bit too nice. And you can't be too nice, but there'd be times when you felt someone was making a mistake that wasn't in their best interest or were going against what they told you you they wanted to achieve with a career but i'd almost be afraid of pushing back because i was 23 24 years old and who am i to tell a 45 50 year old about what they need to do with their fm to achieve the goals they need with it yeah. and then six months later that person comes back to you and says yeah you were right that company wasn't the right one for me can we look again yeah. so i understand it i think it's made me a better recruiter now it's maybe probably a better consultant now but i think i was probably a little bit too shy in in, in being that assertive and, and giving people that advice honestly when when i first started out and I, maybe i could have got somewhere quicker but but who knows like i'm i'm happy where i am yeah i mean i think the ability to identify where change is required over a period of time is really important i mean this is a, we all need to look and self reflect don't we and absolutely and change as we see fit absolutely yeah Oh, fantastic. Okay, so what things in life, let's talk about you for a little bit now, Chris. <laughs> so what things in life, work or leisure, um, give you the greatest satisfaction and enjoyment? Ooh, good question. Um, so working-wise, starting with that, it is generally when you place someone into a role and you see them grow and seeing them develop. And like the third person I ever placed was a assistant facilities manager they're now a head of facilities management. Oh, There's similarly lots of other people that have moved through the career or equally, not everyone It's all about the career advancement, but people saying, I want to move on a role that can eventually enable me to move my family abroad and giving yep. them the advice that gets them there. Um, similarly, even like I said, just giving people the advice, even if it's someone I can't help in the short term that enables them to get to where they're going and actually seeing them achieve that and, and seeing them come in their career that's great. And it's one of the things that I didn't really notice at first in my first two, three years, whereas yeah. now with the benefit of almost a decade's experience, you're starting to see that growth happen from the people we're placing. Um, outside of work, um, traveling big time. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be in a job where it's enabled me to go to some great places. Um, yeah. I was on a sabbatical at the start of this year, so I traveled around Australia and a bit of Asia doing the Gap Year tour, but about nice. 10 years too late. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, I'm quite outdoorsy, so you know a lot of hikes, outdoor walks. Although I say it's me, it's basically led by my girlfriend, who's kind of dragging me up mountains along with her, and I'm trailing about twenty yards behind. But I'm, yeah. I'm getting more into it. Yeah. Well, we have to do as we're told, Chris. It's <laughs> as simple as that, isn't it? Okay. So, where, where do where do you see um, the future of recruitment over the next five years? And do you see any changes um, up ahead? Or I think. I know what changes I'd like to see more of it, and I think similar to how we say that people haven't really invested properly in their recruitment processes for the fms or they haven't really invested in their fms i think if people have these roles that are strategically important to them and they're recognizing that it's not just about anyone with a certain job title or anyone with a certain company name when they can do it but they actually need someone with the right skill set and the right personality fit for it i'd like to see more companies being a bit more proactive with their hiring and rather than wait until something becomes a reactive issue where they need someone kind of giving a bigger runway so we can then evaluate the market better and actually connect people that are the better long-term fits for them. Um, mm. I think we definitely need to carry on that trend of being more inclusive, whether it's encouraging people from certain backgrounds or what have you, but just making sure that FM isn't just 
old male pale and stale but it's been as open to everyone as possible i like that phrase honestly i heard it once and i've repeated it ever since old it's, male, it's, pale, old and male stale. pale and stale thankfully it's, thankfully it is getting better in that regards but yeah. i think definitely be more open to that right um i don't know the full ins and outs of it but there definitely seems to be more and more tech coming into it and obviously in terms of the ai that's available to people like you hear some of the stories that are coming through and it absolutely baffles like we're living in the future in that regards but that'll definitely become a bigger part of it and the sustainability is also crucial like if yeah. people can't show evidence of where they've you know made their properties or portfolios more sustainable it's not necessarily stopping them from getting interviews but it's definitely putting them slower down on the lower down even sorry on the on the hiring list for clients yeah well i mean i guess their clients are driving those initiatives forward as well exactly so and right they want so. to bring individuals in that are going to push it forward and take it to the next step massively um i know it's not your core subject but how do you think companies should approach training and development um i think in terms of approaching training and development, it one actually making the time to do it. A lot of people say they need to do it, and it's one of the ones where we never get around to it. Yeah. Whereas you know, there's certain companies I work with where they have conferences twice a year where they gather all their site-based staff somewhere in the UK, bring them all together, and it's about two days of just sharing best practice, celebrating the work they've done, but also actually this is what we're seeing as a trend in the industry. These yeah. are the tips we can give you. Um, I think... If you want to encourage people to develop themselves and better themselves, obviously people should take it upon themselves. And I think if you can take it upon yourself to do it, brilliant. That definitely stands out and shows you've got drive. Yeah. But actually more and more companies offering training courses like, are you willing to pay for someone through the IWFM qualifications? Are you willing to pay for someone to do their NEBOSH and actually having funds available for that? Um, I think equally as part of that showcase and the development journey for people when they start with you this is how we're going to develop and, and run yeah i've seen a few companies where they do like a buddy system as well or they have like even just like whatsapp groups and stuff where fms if they're having issues in their building or there's something they're not quite sure how to figure out they can just fire questions in there to the wider fm team and actually i think that's got the dual purpose of being really good because a lot of time when you've got a portfolio and you're based at home, you don't always have that face-to-face -face interaction or even much interaction with a wider team. Yeah. There's people saying, I've worked for this company for three years and I've, I've met three of my colleagues in that time. Yeah. Whereas, So if you've got those sort of groups, one, it builds those personal connections, which creates more of a company culture for your FM team. But like I said, there's quick fire answers there as well. So I think making the time for it, um, I'd say looking at actually paying for the qualifications and having actual built-in support to your yep. development journey but also where are those little wins where you can connect fm so there can almost be that on the ground training that that ground up training from your fms as opposed to it always being a top-down thing that your heads of department are responsible for that your training and development staff are responsible for right okay that's really really interesting okay that's kind of everything from me from a question set chris um is there anything that you would like to add that you feel that we haven't talked about on the podcast I mean, we've kind of covered it anyway, but I think just as like a closing note, I think the reason I got into FM, as I said earlier, was because I'm a sucker for a narrative and it's an industry that's on the ascendancy. It's something where people are recognizing the importance of it going for FMs are starting to awaken to the importance of it more. I just, I hope kind of moving forward with this, we talk about the trends we're going to see. I hope that that carries on. I hope facilities managers realize the importance of what they do because too often it's seen as like IT where when things go wrong, you've got people complaining at you and when it goes right it's not noticed and i think people should waken up to that importance whether it's your clients whether it's your customers but that starts i think with the fms actually recognizing the value of what they do and actually taking the time to celebrate what they're doing what their colleagues are doing so yeah it should come from that top-down perspective but i think if fms can carry on 
demonstrating that value and that understanding themselves and shouting about it, then the industry will be in a good place. Yeah, I think what you just said there is really key about FM being in the ascendancy. It must um, and, and it's great that that's what's taking place and that, you know, facilities management clients are seeing the benefits associated with it. Big time. As the office environment, the, the work environment evolves. Yeah, big um, time. And we all benefit from that. To be honest, exactly like Which we said, really it's nice. like I said, property isn't a place you go to and good work happens within. It's a place where it can be that driver of good work, of enjoyment, of good living. But to do that, it needs good people to manage it. And like I said, I've seen that change over the ten years. Hopefully, I'll be seeing that continue over the next ten years, and we'll see where we go. We'll get you back in ten years' time, Absolutely. Chris, and we'll see how it's when see I'll how have, it's landed. How does that sound? Lot, when I'll have a lot more grey hairs, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, me and you won't be here. There'll be a computer sitting here doing it for us, Chris. You know, we'll just we'll just be at home controlling it, which would be quite nice. Take the holiday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much, Chris. Really appreciate that. Very interesting show. Um, and I think all of our listeners will have got some real insights out of it. Um, so that's the end of our 19th podcast. We hope you found it interesting. Um, I'd like to thank Chris, firstly, um, for taking the chair today. Um, it's been really thought-provoking and engaging and really interesting for me. Because do you want to know something? Um, cool. I've never actually asked a recruiter what their day looks like. Because whenever I spoke to a recruiter, it's always been about how do I get that job? What's coming up and things like that. So to hear the insights from you about how the day-to-day is and how you interact with clients is absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, you know, we welcome any feedback from our listeners regarding the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Cheers. See you later. Bye-bye.